Amen. Good morning. It's good to good to have you here today, and I trust that you're excited uh, to be uh, in church today. And uh, we are excited just this morning to share with you uh, many things that God has been up to in our church over the last several months. And there are things that we want to celebrate. And so uh, as I share these things with you, um, one of the things I want you to acknowledge today is as a church, we want to be very careful that when God does something good in our church, that we take a minute and we celebrate the win. Amen? And if, and if God so uh, prompts your heart to say amen or to, to shout or if you've got a hanky and you want to wave a hanky or whatever it is that you guys want to do today, uh, today is a day of celebration. And so let me just share with you some things that God has done. And it's really beyond what God has done in the sense that the things that we have seen God do in the last several months have been absolutely miraculous. Amen? And I want to share a couple of those uh, things with you. The first one being this, that after about um, five years of negotiating with the bank, we were able to renegotiate our loan. And I think there's a keynote slide for that, Terry, if we can get those rolling. Um, So uh, actually, we're going to go in order. I forgot Billy put these in order for me, so I'll use my cheat slide in the back. Uh, We merged the churches, amen? And so we are now officially uh, one church. We are Jackson Creek Fellowship Church, and that's important uh, because when you write your checks out to the church, we can now cash them at the bank, amen? I'm just kidding, but uh, some have been asking about that. We renegotiated the loan after five years of working with the bank. Um, Not only that, but Sauk Trail, our sending church, and many of you don't know this, but in order to get our church going, they invested several hundred thousands of dollars uh, to, to, to see this church move forward. And, um, and they were able to uh, basically write us a check for $100,000 as a gift, if you will, to make sure that we could renegotiate that loan, uh, giving us an overall debt reduction of $450,000. Amen? <laughs> Incredible. Um, we sold the Manhattan building. When we say sold, that, that means this, right? We have an offer, uh, and we're uh, working through the negotiating time on that. They're working on financing. And I want to just say this. No deal is done until you sign the documents on closing day, right? Uh, If you've ever bought a house or you've ever been involved in anything like that, uh, you understand that. There's some uh, some minor repairs and whatnot that we're trying to uh, work out with them. But if everything goes according to plan, which they usually don't, we should be closing on June 14th. And, uh, and, and be receiving uh, funds for that as well. Over the last several months, we've seen many people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, right? Come on, guys. We've seen several baptisms, salvations. We had uh, just a month ago, we had uh, about a dozen people join the church. We've got another crew coming to join on June 10th, and we're excited for that. Many first-time guests, even here today, uh, many of you, this is your first time ever walking through the doors of Jackson Creek. Uh, the student modular that we're uh, going to build out, 1,600 square feet, um, we're uh, in the process of uh, uh, seeing that go up. Our goal is to have it done by this fall. Uh, we had to do some engineering and work with uh, MG2A out in Manhattan to get that done. And Clint is uh, diligently working on on that project. We were able to hire Clint, amen? And that is awesome. <laughs> right, Amen. In case you watched the video last week, you you know what I'm talking about. Awesome, you know. And so, and then if you saw his video this week on social media about the golden glove of glory, all right, and that's for the dessert auction today. And so, many, many different things that are going on, and all of these things, we want to rejoice. In fact, the psalmist said, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
And we want to be a part of a church where at the end of the day, when what happens, people say, man, how did that happen in your church? And we're like, man, I don't know. Because when you can say, I don't know, that means God is at work. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. And we're praying for God to continue to do his mighty supernatural work here at Jackson Creek. And the next several things that we're praying for that you can look forward to is, number one, we're praying about the possibility of relaunching all of our growth groups. Uh, Is there an echo on my mic? All right, are we good now? You working on it? Get a little bit of reverb. All right, we good? All right, we'll try it. All right. A couple of things that we're looking to do this fall, um, and I don't know how it's going to get done, but uh, I, I'm, I'm continuing to pray. If God can give us 450000 debt reduction, I think God can give us some funds for the parking lot. Amen? And I'm praying. Just I don't know how, but I'm praying that God will allow us to see that come to fruition. Um, and really, I'm praying uh, before the winter comes. Amen? <laughs> and I'm tired of moving rocks around uh, for the snow removal, and I just lose my mind every time they come out. And so um, we're trying to keep that in our prayers. And so pray with us on that, right? And one of the things that we want to do is continue to see our ministry grow. As we grow larger, we've also got to grow smaller at the same time. And we want to relaunch our growth groups and give many people that aren't necessarily plugged in an opportunity to connect. And we'll have more information for you on that in the next several months. But you've heard me say several times here at Jackson Creek that the church is a movement. And I think sometimes we falsely see the church simply as an institution or as a building. But movements, by definitions, uh, by definition, they move. And if you're not moving, you're not part of that movement. And so saying that the church is an institution isn't necessarily an accurate depiction of what Jesus had in mind in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And so in your notes this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions. And I want to begin with this question. The first one is this. Are we... As a church just doing ministry, running an institution, or are we a part of a movement? I don't know if you need to turn me down a little bit there or or whatever, but uh, I want to make sure that we got some good sound quality there. Are we as a church just doing ministry, running an institution, or are we part of a movement? And so the next question that you want to ask, and this is really an individual question, is, is the church a place that you attend or, it is, or, is it, or is it a movement that you're personally a part of? And I really want you to let that settle within your heart and with your soul this morning in that, are you a part of this? Are you a part of what Jesus started 2,000 years ago? Are you a part of what Jesus had in mind? You see, the church was launched around an event in history. You may write that down. Please note that today. The church was launched around a, an event in history. We talk about it, and we call it the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why we're here today. Amen? We're here today because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came back from the dead. That's why we gather every Sunday, and that's why the church for 2,000 years have come together on the first day of the week to celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ came back from the dead. We celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ can forgive us of our sins and that we can be made right with God because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And you see, the resurrection galvanized first century believers around a simple idea that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. That's why we gather every week. We don't gather to dispense religious goods. 
We don't gather because we're a social organization. We don't necessarily even gather for the benefit of one another. We simply gather because Jesus Christ was and is who he said he was 2,000 years ago. And so we gather, we gather, we celebrate, and every week we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. The church was birthed as a movement of people around a, a single simple message and a simple idea. And this text reminds us of the simple and powerful truth. And in this text, Jesus promised that the church would succeed. And right now, God is choosing to bless the gathering of believers at Jackson Creek. And if you want to be a part of something special, something significant, and something supernatural, then we can rest in the promise that Jesus made to his disciples 2,000 years ago when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, in our passage today, in Matthew chapter 16, we find that Jesus takes his disciples into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Mike talked about this last week. It was about 120 miles from Jerusalem in the northern part of Palestine. This region particularly was strongly identified with, with various religions. It was the center for, for Baal worship. The Greek god of Pan had shrines there. and Herod the Great had built a temple there to honor Augustus Caesar. And in the midst of this pagan superstition, you find Jesus asking and posing a question to these men whom he called his disciples. He asked them a question and he posed a question to them that would begin a movement that would change the world. And Jesus asks his disciples in this region at this moment, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? One of the disciples said, some think you're a prophet, some Moses, some Elijah. And then he says, that's cool, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, always the first to speak, says, you're, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus says to Peter, he goes, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, a lot of religions believe that what Jesus was saying was that on Peter, that the church would be founded. But can I just throw some things out to you? Peter is not the one we build the church on. Can I get an amen? I mean, it wasn't a few days after this that Peter was denying Jesus. And then a few days after that, he started the church. And then he was a mess for a while. And then he wrote some incredible books about what it meant to fail and fall forward with God. In fact, my wife and I, we were in Rome last year, and we went to the Vatican, and on the doors of the Vatican, they have this picture of Jesus embossed in steel on the doors of the Vatican, of Jesus handing Peter the keys of the church, and then they have below that a picture of Peter being crucified upside down for his faith. And while I believe that Peter wrote um, a portion of the Bible, and he was an apostle, and he was a man of God, and God did great things in his life, Peter is not the one that the church is built on. The church is built on no man. The church is simply built on the message of Jesus Christ. He said, who do you say that I am? And he says, I say that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're going to look at this morning about what that really means. And we find in this passage that Jesus gives these men several principles to help guide us as a movement and help guide us as a church. Because the reality is, is a lot of people have a jaded view about the church. A lot of people have been hurt by other churches, or they believe the church is filled with hypocrites, and quite frankly, the church is filled with hypocrites, right? We're all a people who are broken, and we all lack integrity in many different ways, and if you're in a, a place where people are inconsistent and broken, you're probably in the place where you need to be, because that's the kind of people that Jesus is ministering to, 
and repairing and fixing in the kingdom of God. But Jesus gives these men several principles when he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He gives them several things that will help guide them into the future as they spur this movement of gospel uh, proliferation in the known world at the time. The first one is this, the promise of the church. The promise of the church. In verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus promised to build the church. And the Bible is clear in in its teaching that that God's uh, plan A for reaching the world is with the message of the gospel through the church. The church doesn't need more programs. It doesn't need more ministries. You are the program and you are the ministry. And as you go out in life and as you live in your neighborhood and as you work your job and you cross paths with people that are far from God, they don't need a church. They don't need a non-for-profit ministry. They don't need a program. They need to know the personal message of Jesus Christ that he was and is and he came to save and he is living and he wants to save them from their sin. That's upon the promise that Jesus wants to build his church. And in this one statement, Jesus set in motion the greatest organization in the history of man. You see, Christianity didn't thrive in the ancient world because of the social, economic, and religious, and political conditions were just right. There was nothing inevitable about the spread of the gospel. In fact, Christianity thrived because all authority was given to the risen Lord, who commanded then his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. Their mission simply thrived. Their mission thrived simply because Jesus is Lord. That's it. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have television. They didn't have the shortwave radio. They didn't have um, telephones. They didn't have text messaging. No, they went from place to place, word of mouth, spreading with authority the truth that Jesus Christ forgives and he's come again. Man, that's the good news. And Jesus promised to build his church on that message. He still commands you and me to follow him. And he still promises to teach us to fish for people and make disciples and multiply communities of his followers here and everywhere. And Jesus is giving his disciples a promise of authority that will not fail. Throughout the last 11 years since we've started the church and now we've merged with Jackson Creek, I, there's been several times, I just if I were being honest with you today, that, that I just wanted to throw in the towel. I'm like, man, this thing's never going to get going. This thing's never going to be what I, what I believe that God uh, gave me and, and envisioned for us to do. And, and over time, I just was like, man, is this worth it? But over and over again, I'm reminded of this promise in Matthew 16, and it gave me hope. Because, because God is at work. Jesus is at work. And when I look around this room today, I see represented here this morning people whose marriages have been put back together. I see in this room today people who have overcome addiction. I see people who have overcome abusive relationships, people who are far from God and living in sin and and far from a relationship with Jesus come to a place of reconciliation and renewal and, and restoration. We don't always have to see it. We don't always have to see it, but God is at work. We don't always have to see what God is up to, but He's providentially and sovereignly in his authority and in his power at work. If I had time today and I don't, 
Chris told me if I was going to be a good steward of the Lord's money that I needed to be done right at 1130 so that we wouldn't have to eat cold pizza. That's how spiritual our church is, right? It's Chris Pate back in the back, right? Let's pray for his soul, right? I could sit here today and tell you over and over again where I thought, man, what are we going to do? How's this thing going to go? Monies came in, people came in, resources came in, and God did this, and God did that. I mean, even a few weeks ago, I was kind of at a place just spiritually depleted and just spent from all the the the, the mounting pressure of, of leading the ministry with Mike and John. And Mike and John pulled me aside with Clint, and they just laid their arms around me and prayed over me. And, and, and that, my friends, is the beauty and the diversity of and the depth of the church that God established 2,000 years ago. That's what we're here to celebrate today. Jesus promised to build his church, but he also promised to empower his church. We see not just the promise of the church, but we see the, the power, the empowering of the church. Peter said to, to the disciples and to Christ, you are the Christ. You, you are the Christ. And it's on this foundation that the church is built and it stands. It's not on me. It's not on Mike or John or, or any one family or in person. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And there is no foundation that can be laid except for that which is Jesus Christ. The church is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. And it's not about whatever it is we think it's about. It's not about a style or a preference or some music or, or, or ministry. Those things come and go, but Jesus is forever, Right? The church is built on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's composed of believers who gather around a risen Savior. I mean, guys, listen, we're here today. Look, I got some friends up in here today. I got people that I like to hang out with. There's some of you I could care less if I ever see you again. I'm just kidding, right? I'd be totally on pastoral, right? I used to know this guy at the church that I served at before, and he says, man, I, I love everybody in the church. I just don't like everybody in the church, right? I think he needed to get saved too, right? And so, no, here's the reality. We don't, we don't gather here today. I mean, I'm glad I get to see Mike today, even though he's filming. Are you filming me? Don't do that, right? <laughs> awesome, right? <laughs> um, I'm glad I get to see my friends. I'm glad I get to see family every week. But I'm not here for that. I'm here because Jesus 2,000 years ago came back from the dead. I'm here today because Jesus transforms lives. I'm here today because Jesus takes our sins as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. I'm, I'm here today because Jesus is alive and he makes all things known. And if there's any hope for all the world, it's in Jesus. That's why we're here today. And so it's composed of believers who gather around a risen Savior. The church is founded on the truth of the gospel. Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so if your life right now is turned upside down, the answer is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This truth motivates us to share this message, this life-transforming truth with our neighbors it motivates us to share it with the nations. The reality is, is that we have a high success rate because when we share the gospel, people come to know Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Acts, you find that whenever the Holy Spirit shows up mightily and he does something supernatural, it's always when the disciples are boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel. In fact, I wrote in my notes today, Jesus grows his church upon the proclamation of the gospel by his disciples. You want God to show up in your life? Start sharing the gospel. 
You want God to show up at your workplace? Start sharing the gospel. You want God to start showing up here at 25800 South Center Road, Moni, uh, Illinois? Let's start sharing the gospel and see what Jesus does, right? You see, the promise is, is that Jesus was going to, and Jesus is building his church off of the statement of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am because Jesus came into my life 35 years ago, and he radically changed my life and gave me a purpose and a hope, and he forgave my sins. And now I have a relationship with God. That, my friends, is the most basic proclamation of the gospel. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no other foundation for our faith. That one statement changes everything. The church of Jesus Christ is empowered by this truth. The church isn't built on programs. Some people say, well, we need to have this ministry, we need to have this ministry, we need to do this, and all of that is fine and good. The church isn't built on one man. It's not built on one family. It's not built on the pastor. It's built on a person. And friends, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We never, we never want to do anything that cheapens that reality. A friend of mine and I were talking about churches during the Easter holiday. And, you know, I mean, we've done some things before at our church to make it fun, right? We were talking about Easter, and we were saying, you know, so, some church had like a petting zoo, and one, one pastor that we knew went out and stood on the streets of his city dressed up like an Easter bunny, which I'm not hating on the Easter bunny. I like chocolate bunnies just like everybody else, and I'm not going to preach against that because I like getting chocolate for Easter. Can I get an amen? But, but doesn't that sometimes cheapen the reality of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? I mean, when you think about it, if a risen Savior coming back from the grave is not enough to draw people into the kingdom, then what are we doing here? And I want us to be a church. When we say we are the church, we're not going to be a church that's built on consumerism. We're going to be a church of people who are committed followers of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I had a family that walked into the church and I knew that they had come from other, another church uh, you know, of similar like faith and practice, and I stopped them, and I said, hey, if you're coming here, because I sensed that they were just shopping around for churches, and that just drives me nuts, right? I just said to them, I met them, and I said, hey, right in the foyer out there, I said, hey, if you're going to come to church, I want you to understand something from the very first day that you come to our church. We are not a church that's built on consumerism, and we're not here with a ton of ministries, and we're not here doing this, that, and the other. We're a church of people who are committed, uh, who are committed to the Word of God, and we're committed to the Great Commission. And if that's kind of your thing, then you're going to fit right in. And if you're not, if you're not interested in that, we're probably not the church for you. And they never came back again, right? And, and that's fine because at the end of the day, we want to be committed to Jesus Christ and nothing more, nothing less. So what galvanizes us, the only point of common ground is that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead and that his death paid for our sins uh, for the whole world and that we as a people and that we as a gathering, we as a church have the ultimate responsibility of taking that message as our mission to those who are far from God. And that kind of leads us into our last thought here this morning is the purpose of the church. The purpose, Jesus gives us the purpose. This guides us. This shows us who we are supposed to be as we gather around the reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And Jesus said, listen, he says in verse 18, I tell you, Peter, you're a, uh, uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, doesn't that give you hope? God's going to build his church, 
And then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And a better rendering of this would actually be Hades because hell is the final destination. And what Jesus was referring to was Hades, which was the realm of the dead. And what that means is, is that neither, listen to this, this ought to fire you up today. He says this, he goes, listen, neither death nor Satan could hold on to any of those to whom Jesus had claimed to. Amen? Not, no one. So, so as we go out as followers of Jesus Christ and we spread this, this powerful message and we, we, we move about our, in our neighborhoods and among the nations and wherever God calls us to go in our life as we spread this message, we're guaranteed victory because there are going to be those who God calls into his kingdom and our only responsibility, it's not saving people, it's just sharing the message of Jesus. That's it. We, we get to share about what God did in our life. And there's no power and there's no authority that is a match for the church when it's on mission. Listen, when a church has a laser pinpointed focus on what we're going to be about, nothing will stop the church. Man, my, I tried to get my kids this weekend to watch this movie called The Darkest Hour. And it was a, it was a, it was a movie about um, Winston Churchill. And he talked about it. The whole movie, the, 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 the precipice from what I understand was, was that Winston Churchill was a man of conviction. And regardless of what you, you think about him, he obviously drank quite a bit. He met with the king, and the king at the time says, how do you drink this much at lunch? He goes, it took a lot of practice, you know. And so he smoked a ton of cigars, and he was inappropriate in a lot of ways, right? But it was crazy because all of these men in his war cabinet were sitting there saying, hey, listen, we need to seek for peace. And I'm sitting there, why would you seek for, seek for peace with Hitler? He's going to come in and he's going to destroy it. And I'm thinking this in my mind. And then all of a sudden it dawned on Winston Churchill. Are we really going to fly the swastika above Buckingham Palace? And when he started painting that picture, and he was a man who stood alone. And I've, the reality is, is here was a man that had some conviction. God help us as followers of Jesus Christ and as the church of the living God, to have conviction. Believing that we serve a risen Savior and He has called us and He compels us to go into the highways and the hedges in our neighborhood and around the nations telling other people about what Jesus Christ did for you and me. You see, when you have conviction, you don't make excuses. When you have conviction, you don't rationalize. When you, when you have conviction, you don't complain and you don't, you don't look at the obstacles. You get on your knees and you pray through them because those who have the faith of a mustard seed can what? Move, move mountains. And so we take God at his word and we stand on his promises and we know that as a people, God has gathered us to be on mission and bringing other people to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. And so we are the church. And we're on the offensive. There isn't an obstacle that Jesus can't overcome, even if that's a $500,000 debt reduction, amen? Even if that means getting a parking lot, or even if that means someone in your life that you think they're so far from God, they'll never come to Jesus. He's into that kind of stuff. Jesus is kind of into doing the impossible, right? Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And with God, all things are they're possible. God's kind of into that. And when we fall on our face humbly before him and stop trying to control the world around us, he then can do his thing. He begins to work. Jesus wants us, and I hope you'd write this down today, 
Jesus wants us to follow him into victory. The victory's already been claimed. The war has already been won. We just need to follow him on into victory. We're not in a defensive posture. No, my friends, we're to be like a mighty army moving forward for the sake of the gospel. And the church is strengthened by this purpose. If you want to be a part of a life-transforming movement, you'll want to be connected to the church. And when you do, you have the power and the authority and the promise of God to succeed in making disciples and seeing lives transformed. I can go through this room today and I can point out at least a half a dozen people whose life has been turned from darkness to light. And I'm like, I want to see more of that for the glory of God. Oh man, let's see some more of that. We've left the Great Commission to missionaries. And there's no office for missionary in the New Testament. Did you know that? We support about 20, 25 missionaries around the world. But there's no office for missionary in the New Testament. Because Jesus just assumed that we're either all missionaries or none of us are. All of us have the responsibility to carry the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. We are the church. And as his disciples, we must follow him and obey him. And I mentioned this quite a bit uh, in the last several weeks, and I've, I've, I've talked about it a lot lately, but the church doesn't need, please note this today, the church doesn't need more information. The church needs more obedience to the Great Commission. Teaching obedience is different than teaching information, and Jesus wants his disciples who will, Jesus wants disciples who will just obey him. I wrote this down in my notes today. Love is demonstrated. Love is demonstrated in obedience. My kids, you know, if I want them to show me that they love me, while I appreciate them saying, Dad, I love you, like I like that. That's fun when they do that. But what's really fun is when I'm like, take out the trash and they just do it. Can I get an amen? Hey, clean your room, and they just do that. You see, obedience is expected from those who love and follow Jesus. The love for Jesus will compel you and me to go and make disciples and to expand the kingdom and build the church. Jossie Chaco, who's a pastor from India, said this, teaching content will bring a crowd, teaching obedience makes a disciple. So if I ask my daughter Ellie, hey Ellie, I'm going to be gone from... For, for work today. Before I get home from work, I need you to clean, no, I want you to clean your room. I want you to clean your room, and I want you to have it done before I get home from work today. Now, this is a fictitious story, unlike the one I told about a month ago. My daughter got really upset with me. My friends thought I just, you know, was talking bad about you. I was like, well, God's watching, and he knows, you know. But let's say I asked Ellie to clean her room, and I go to work, I come home, and I say, hey, Ellie, did you clean your room? And Ellie says to me, well, Dad, you, you know, I, I, I want you to know that I got online today and I found like 13 different blogs on how to clean your room. And then I went to the library and I checked out three or four different books on how to clean your room. And Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I went back to the original languages and the Hebrew and the Greek. And I, I studied out from and, and exegeted this, this text on what it means to clean your room. And, and then I, I developed this plan. You're not going to believe this. I, I got this plan. And it's like a 16-point a plan on how to clean your room. And, and then I went and I told my friends about, you know, hey, my dad wants me to clean this room. I've been doing this research on how to clean your room. And here's what I come up with and and not only have I come up with this plan and I've got 16 steps on how to clean my room I think maybe what I should do is write a book on how to clean my room and I just look at her and I simply ask her did you clean your room and friends I'm going to tell you churches are filled with people just like that all the time 
Oh, we know what it means to tell other people about Jesus Christ. We know what the Great Commission says. We know that we are the church, and we know that we're supposed to be living in our neighborhoods, and we, we know that we're supposed to be going into our workplaces, and we know that we're supposed to see people far from God, and, and we want to come to church, and we want to sit here every week and listen to the message and, and gain more information, and we want to know more about Christ. And the reality is, and I want to ask you this question today, but what percentage of what you know is obeyed by you? So many Christians today, they want to study, they want to attend conferences to learn and be fed, but very few are actually making disciples. This is Jesus' plan for us. We're either going to obey all the way, or we're going to not obey at all. Probably not good grammar, but we'll work that out later. When I was a kid, I loved playing basketball, and... uh, we had this place in Auburndale called the Court. So it was, it was it, all the ballers went there. Everybody that was great at basketball uh, went and played basketball there. And when I was a kid, um, my friend Eric and I, we wanted to go play basketball. It was before I got my driver's license. And so I said, Mom, I need a ride to the courts. Can you give me a ride? She goes, yeah, I'll give you a ride. Um, I need you to mow the grass first. I said, great, I'll mow the grass. So I, what I did was I mowed the front lawn. I took the mower and I pushed it in the back, and I didn't mow the back lawn. And so I got in the car, and my, my friend Eric and my mom got us about halfway to the basketball courts, and so when uh, about halfway there, she stops the car and pulls it over on the side of the road. I said, what are you doing? And she, I mean, we're in the hood, right? We were. It was dangerous, right? I said, what are you doing? She goes, get out. I said, what do you mean, get out? We've got another little bit to go. She goes, no, you mow half the lawn, you get half a ride, right? <laughs> See, partial obedience is not obedience. We can come to church, we can read our Bible, we can do all a bunch of good moral things, we can stay out of sin, but the reality is, is are we being obedient to what God has called us in making disciples of Jesus Christ? I want to challenge you this morning to embrace the Great Commission, to embrace the reality that we are the church. The American church doesn't need more listeners and learners, it needs, it needs more disciples. So what's exciting is there have always been, this is what's amazing to me, 2,000 years, 2,000 years, there's always been people who have gotten this idea that Jesus Christ is risen and we're going to go and spread this message and make disciples. And that's what I love about our church. Like when someone gets baptized, people cheer, right? When you meet in a growth group, you understand you meet and you are the church, when we serve in missions or we, we, we plant churches, you're, you're, you're moving together as a church for the Great Commission. When you feed the poor in the food pantry, we are the church. When you serve the kids in Creek Kids, you're the church to the next generation. It's not a style, it's not an approach, but it's galvanized around the reality that we have a risen Savior who died on the cross and wants to forgive us of our sins and that he rose again on the third day and this is the message for the entire world. So I hope you don't slide back into thinking that the church is a place or that it's a location But I hope you understand this morning that the church is a movement built on a promise. It's a a, a movement that has purpose. And I hope that this morning that you'll commit to going all in with that purpose. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to ask you very quickly, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know Jesus Christ personally is my Savior. And this message that you speak of today, I know all about Jesus and I know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Would you lift your hand and let me see your hands today, here this morning? 
How many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure that I know Christ is my Savior. There's never been a time in my life where I've actually put my faith in Jesus. And if I were to slip out into eternity today, I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home. And really that I'm right with God. Would you lift your hand and let me see that here today? Is there anyone that I could pray for this morning? Yes, yes, I see your hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, I see your hand in the back. Thank you so much. Now, how many of you do say to me this morning, Pastor, I want to be a part of what God is doing here at Jackson Creek. I want to be a part of, of the vision that Jesus gave the church 2,000 years ago, and I, I want to be all in. And I want, to, I want to be a disciple that makes disciples that makes disciples. Would you lift your hand and let me see your hand this morning? Just lift them up high. Just put them up there real high. Amen. Hands all over the room. Then for many of you this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that just raise your hand that you want to be a part of the movement and the work that God is doing. The Holy Spirit's likely already made application as to what your next step is. Some of you need to join. Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to get plugged into a ministry. Uh, some of you need to use your gifts, your resources, and your abilities to, to build and multiply the kingdom of God. And whatever that is, I hope that you'll come to the altar this morning and surrender that to Jesus Christ. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I pray for these three gentlemen that raised their hand today that they might, before they leave here, come grab me by the hand so I can talk to them about what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ. And I pray for our entire church this morning. That at a baseline, we'd come and we would we'd put ourselves on this altar and thank you for every single blessing that you've given to our church. At any moment, you could shut off the valve, but we want to rejoice in all the good things that you're doing. And we want to be very quick to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise that is due unto your name for all the things that you have done. And I pray that we'd renew our commitment to the work that you've called us to over 2,000 years ago of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That we would leverage everything that we have and all that we are so that there would be no person left that hasn't repeatedly heard the message of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.